I've had a gallery once in the past at an exhibition opening got all of the information about me wrong, like said it was my first show and I remember my heart just sort of breaking a little bit thinking, oh, they've got no idea, like they don't know anything about me. And so I think now for me, it's really, it's really important to work with people that I trust and who, like they're doing the hardest bits to me, which is reaching other people who are going to buy my work. And I always say it's this difficult trifecta to reach for someone to buy your work. You've got to have someone who A, loves your work, because not everyone will. Like I don't love every piece of art that I see and you can't expect, you know what I mean, the same. You know, they've got to have somewhere to put it. And if your work is quite big, there's not always, people don't always have the room to put your work. And then they've also got to have the money to spend on a painting. And that's not always easier available so that's I mean for me that's quite a hard trifecta to reach but yeah you're getting someone to do that that really hard bit for you. Hi there my name's Willie Russo and you're listening to Interview with an Artist the weekly show where we speak with a range of art world players. Julie Battisti is a painter living and working on the South Island of New Zealand in Dunedin to be exact. Julie paints the most glorious large-scale works of billowing clouds and luxurious flowers. Sounds kind of dreamy, right? And it is. Escapism is one of Julie's artistic drivers and it's not at all surprising. You could definitely get lost in her works, exploring the detail and the depth built up over layer upon layer of rich velvety oils. On today's interview with an artist, Julie and I delve into the artist-gallery relationship and why she values it greatly. We look at the money side of being an artist and what impact it had on Julie's commissions when she put her prices on her website. And finally, her commissioning process, how it's evolved and what it looks like now. Head to Julie's Instagram at Julie Battisti and check out her rich, beautiful works. Enjoy meeting the lovely Julie Battisti. Julie Battisti, thank you so much for joining us on Interview with an Artist. How is it in New Zealand today? Today's a bit wet and, and rainy, but it has been a really nice summer so far, so so pretty good. And you? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it's beautiful over here in Sydney. I'm back down in New South Wales after a weekend in far north Queensland, which was very <laughs> hot and muggy. But um, now I'm sneaking you in to the podcast under the international banner, but you're actually an Aussie. I am. I am. How long have you been in NZ now? This is year four or five. I think I'm losing track. It must be going into year five. Oh, I don't know. It's been a blur. <laughs> <laughs> what took you to New Zealand? So me and my husband were living in Melbourne, but he needed to come back and finish some admin things for his work. Uh, so we decided to move up to the middle of nowhere, so the far north of the North Island. And so he was a rural GP there for a couple of years. And then we moved down to Dunedin almost two, almost two years ago now, or a bit over two years ago. And that's been a really nice move as well. So it was a great introduction to New Zealand, moving to Rawani for the first couple of years, because that was a really small community and just beautiful part of the country. And then Dunedin's been a really great place as well. Like it's a really lovely place to raise kids and it's got a really nice arts culture and um, loving it so far. Missing my family, but loving it here. You've been painting now full time since 2017, but prior to that you did a double degree in visual arts and international relations at ANU. Tell us about your study. Was that a good course? 
It was really good. I never, I've always been good at, I've always enjoyed doing two things at once. Um, and I always thought that my art would be political in nature and it's, it never has been. Um, but yeah, I think there's, I don't know, I've always enjoyed studying. I could have been one of those people that just studied forever. I'm always interested in, I get lost in things. So yeah, I loved, I loved studying art and sort of being pushed in that more theoretical areas. And then I loved politics and international relations and languages. And so it was good. I don't think it, it never led me anywhere, but um, I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> you enjoyed it. Does that count? Um, and that helped. Yeah, no, totally, <laughs> totally. I would say there are many, many people who have studied things that have potentially never led them anywhere, but they had a really, they enjoyed it. Yeah, I didn't actually think about the job part at the end of it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so in 2017, you started painting full time. And I, I guess the pieces of your work that stick out for me at the moment, well, it, it, each of the series, so the series of works that I've followed you on have been the florals the flowers and then the cloudscapes and then I I have one of your Frida's you you do really wonderful Frida Kahlo paintings and throughout your work with the florals and the clouds you have this sense of escapism that you talk about what is it about escapism that draws you in to your work uh I really like textures and details and getting lost in something and for me that's what painting was for a long time it was sort of I could just paint for hours and not think about anything else and I guess both flowers and clouds for me have got that textural element so they're completely different but um yeah it, was, it wasn't about anything other than capturing colors and textures and a sense of something Tell us about your process because you create paintings that are very real. I, I, I would almost go as far to say they're not hyper-realistic, but they're, they're very real. And so how, how do you achieve that look? I, I use a lot of layers and I take a really long time. Sometimes I, I'm always a time optimist and think that I'll get things done before I do. Um, basically a process of, of many, many layers. So I sort of start up quite thick and loose with the initial layers, sort of just finding general shapes and highlights and, and then gradually add more and more detail or with the clouds, sort of adding layers of depth, the sort of different shades of blue and then adding like the real highlights of white at the end. And I feel like the, the flowers are probably similar, but it's sort of just more and more detail. Um, yeah, so I find it interesting that you think they're hyper real because I always look at them and think, oh, I haven't quite gotten there. And I look at hyper realistic painters and think, oh, I'd love to be that sort of painter. But I always, yeah, it's so interesting to hear other people's opinions on your work. Yeah, no, I think they're, I think it's amazing what you achieve. Like <laughs> I, I was showing it to one girlfriend and particularly the cloud, um, one of the cloud paintings. And she was like, I'm not really looking for fine art photography. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> it's not fine art photography. Um, Julie's a painter. And and this, and I guess this is the the challenge with looking at art through Instagram, right? Mm, yeah. Is that um, and I've had many other artists say this to me that, you know, Instagram is that fantastic platform for building an audience and showcasing your their work, but there really is no 
substitute for seeing a piece in the flesh. Yeah. Um, and I think and... that's why it's so important to have your presence in some galleries as well. I think for the people buying your work, but just also just for building an audience, there's nothing like seeing paintings in real life, the way that the light hits them and being able to stand back from them because you can only really view online like one, like you're always looking at whatever angle the um, artist has given you, but you can't get any distance, any further distance than what you've got. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we we have purchased some things online and gotten them home and gone, oh, okay, that's kind of not what we thought. Not my Frida Kahlo painting that I have of yours <laughs> that came home and I was just so beside myself. <laughs> um, and the the lens the the camera lens and the photo lens of constantly looking at work online you're right if if you can get in to see an artist in a gallery that's a really important part of building a connection with an artist as well i think i think so yeah and i always i'm always so nervous when i get commissions from people that haven't seen my work in real life cuz i think oh what if they've got this idea of what my paintings are and they get it and they buy it and they, they don't love it when they receive it, it yeah, it's one of the things that makes me really nervous. Yeah, so how many commissions do you do? Oh, I haven't I haven't counted. I've got quite a lot on this year, which is really lovely. I try and limit it to one a month because I am really slow. Because um, I don't finish one a month, but I try and commit to no more than one a month. Only because I do like to keep enough time to make work for galleries as well, because I do like for people to be able to see my work in the flesh mm. and... Yeah, I, I think that's a really important part. Like more and more these days, I think people are trying to sell independently. But I love selling through galleries. I don't particularly like the sales aspect myself. So I'm always happy to hand that bit over. Yeah, it is um, the growth of the art market and people selling direct is undeniable, right? So, yeah. you know, with, with Instagram, you can search on there, you search the heart, hashtag artist on Instagram and you are immediately presented with um, you know, hundreds if not thousands of options of beautiful art to buy. But the gallery, I feel the gallery is always going to be there, right? Because I artists so. aren't necessary. Yeah. I think, well, it's, you know, it's interesting because more, more than I've ever had before, I had people asking me, why do you sell through galleries? They take such a huge cut. But I think that people don't talk about or appreciate what a gallery does for you, like, well, a good gallery anyway, like the exposure that you can get. Like I know the gallery here in Tunisia that I use, that I work with. And what's their name? Gallery De Novo. And they are fantastic. Put my work in the window yep. all the time. Whenever people have gone in to ask about my work, they're so, like they know a lot about me and they talk about uh, the way that people have told me they talk about my work is really wonderful. And they do the sales bit, which I, I mean, I think I've always said I can probably talk people out of my work quicker than I can talk them into <laughs> work. Um, it's, it's not a thing that I'm good at. And so I sort of think, well, that's that's worth it to me, like for the exposure. Like there are nights when I've driven past and seen my work in the window and just it's so exciting still. And I think that's, that's worth a lot that people don't rate because people can't see my work in the flesh in my studio. Like it's there's no street frontage. So unless people are on Instagram or looking me up on my website, there's, you can't, I sort of figure you've got to be able to reach new people. Yeah. And also the, the logistics sides of things and the, um, 
the collected database that they have. And I had one gallery here in Sydney. It's quite an old established gallery and their range of collectors are probably in the, I would say, 50 plus market. And I'm not saying that people over 50 aren't on Instagram because they absolutely are. But he was saying, look, my collector base aren't on Instagram. They're people who want to come into the gallery. And to be fair, he said, look, I'm finding new artists on Instagram, but I'm not selling new artists on Instagram. So. um, And I know that just from the way that I would, that I've, by art, I like to be able to see it. I like to have seen it in the flesh, which you know yeah. can be limiting, but also it's sort of, I don't know, I always find you fall in love with a piece more once you've seen it in person. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Um, on the commissioning side of things, just because I know you and I have gone through the commissioning process, but let's talk about the process that you go through because I know at times artists are wary of doing commissions because they feel... Um, yeah, they, they're just wary of doing it. So how, what's your commissioning process like? Um, I feel like I probably spend a lot of time talking with the people that I, well, talking online, I suppose, with the people that I'm organising a commission with. And I always do panic. So every time I've done a commission, I panic that they're not going to like it when they receive it. But I spend a t- lot of time just, you know, let me know which, which work of mine attracted you to me so that I get a feel for what they're after. With yours, it was slightly different because the Frida paintings I sort of approached differently to. But with, say, for example, with the flowers, I sort of, you know, which flowers are you liking? Which compositions have you liked? And then I buy flowers and photograph a new composition for that person. And I make sure that both me and them are happy with the photo that I'm going to base the work on. Because I always figure that if they do end up hating it when they receive it, not that that's happened, but then at least I've got a painting that I like that I can sell on to someone. Yeah. I've never had that happen, but it's really yeah. important to me that I'm not just painting something that, some, that was just for someone else. I've got to enjoy it as well. So I sort of figure yeah. I'm going to spend three months with this, you know, or four months with this painting. I've got to like it too. Yep. And once, once they've agreed on a composition, it sort of goes from there and I usually send people some process shots. And, yeah, so I still feel like I'm finding my way every time. Yeah. And do you have a policy with your people that they with if someone's commissioned to work and they get it home and they don't like it they can send it back yeah I like to do that just because I figure if someone's buying something it's really important to me that they love it when they receive it and if they don't then I don't think they should have to keep it if they don't love it and again I haven't had that problem but I sort of I think it's important for me and for them that they end up with something that they love and they've spent the money on especially if they haven't seen my work in the flesh before it's and I always say look you know you'll be responsible for the fees of shipping it back to me but otherwise yeah if you don't want to keep it I don't want you to have to have bought it yeah and that is something I do say to people when they are talking about looking into a commission I said look the artist doesn't want to create something for you that you're going to hang on your wall and walk past every day and go oh gosh I hate that John Smith painting like (laughs) (laughs) um that's the artist that's the last thing they want but each artist does have a different process and a different approach and some artists don't even take commissions right so it's as a as a collector thinking about commissions there's just a number of things to keep in mind so I think it's always interesting when you find someone 
find an artist that does do it to kind of explore that a little further like one of my favorite commissions so far has been a guy in Melbourne and I actually got to go to his house and choose a wall and create something for that space and he'd seen my work before so it was a really wonderful process and then not that it's not a wonderful process when people haven't seen your work before but some of that anxiety was sort of eased so but they're all I think so long as you're painting what you enjoy it, it should I know it, it's always a wonderful process but it's always I think a little bit anxiety written yeah for sure <laughs> for sure <laughs> um do you remember the first piece you sold yes it was at high school I was lucky enough at the end of my final year my school bought one of my paintings and one of my teachers commissioned a portrait from me actually at the same time so that was that always felt pretty special oh that's very cool had, um have you ever been back to your school do you know if it's still hanging there Yes, I went back and did some of my teaching teacher training there um, and it was still up on the wall, which was kind of odd, but also kind of awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, when did you start calling yourself an artist? Oh, I really struggled with that. Probably not. I mean, I've always sort of, even while I was working sort of in a corporate job, I was still dabbling in painting, but I think only the last four years since I've been doing it more full time. It was always sort of easier to say I'm a teacher or I'm a planner or a business analyst and I'm an artist. It always feels like it needs some extra explanation. Yeah, it's funny. It's um, <laughs> it is. It's a funny bridge to cross, I think, for creatives to finally own their creative process as their career. Yeah, absolutely. And what's your painting routine like? Because you have a little boy called Theo who is just adorable. And. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think I'm lucky in that we've got, he goes to daycare a few days a week. So usually it's sort of drop him at daycare. I spend a good sort of seven hours in the studio um, during the day, most days, and then try and spend quality time with him when he's home in the afternoons. And then when he goes to bed, I usually go back out to the studio until 10-ish. Uh, um, so I you know, manage to get a good chunk of time in, which is good. But I try and keep my, yep. and my I, painting is my painting and when I'm parenting, I'm just parenting. Yeah. And are you listening to music? Are you listening to podcasts? Uh, I'm always listening to something. So if it's, but it, it changes day to day depending on how I'm feeling. But podcasts are a phase. Music's always on. Um, I do have TV shows on in the background if it's a really, um, if it's got a good script and I don't actually have to watch it. Um, yeah, because I always find that if I've got something good on in the background where I'm listening to it, it sort of keeps me in there and keeps me motivated for longer, which is why I think I enjoy podcasts and that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Oh, what's your favorite podcast? Oh, yours. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Julie. Oh my God. That's so funny. (laughs) I, I really like conversations with Richard Feidler as well. And I always find that I really struggle to turn that off when he's talking about having a really great interview with an author and chat 10 looks three. I'm a little bit obsessed with Annabelle Crabbe and Lee Sales. Oh my God. Yes. Annabelle Crabbe. Don't you just feel like you're friends already? Yep. She just doesn't know it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think if I ever meet her, I'll come across as one of those people that is just like, ah, oh, I know everything about you. I know. 
<laughs> I know. Oh my goodness, too funny. Um, if you could change one thing about the art industry, what would it be? I think people need to talk about the money side of it more. So I think people are often afraid to ask for prices or to talk about prices or um, to say, no, that's too expensive for me. Or I feel like people, it's a really icky area talking about money. And so I feel like it doesn't happen very often, but then it ends up being this big area that nobody really knows how to price their work or what a work is worth or yeah, I just wish that area was more transparent for everyone, buyers and sellers. For the industry, for so long, it's been such an opaque part of the industry, right? Um, yeah. I don't know whether that's a protection method or, uh, but I think you're right. It does need to be something that's just, you know, this is a product and it, and it's it's a, I'm providing a service and a beautiful product and this is the pricing and or as a collector, I often say to people, come with a budget in mind, like figure out what you've got to spend and then look at the artists and find out if they are in your range or if they're slightly outside it, do they have an option to be within it? Because I know of a couple of artists who they have approached the commissioning process with some collectors. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking of one instance in particular where you know, the collector really wanted piece A, but it was like hundreds above what their budget was. And so the artist kind of compromised and worked into the middle and not compromising on the quality of the piece or anything like that, but worked out, okay, well, I can do a slightly smaller size, which is I wouldn't normally do, but, you know, if that will work for you. And they both, they landed on something that everyone was very happy with, but it is, it was, it just took that conversation, right. Of, of that money conversation to come to the foreground. Yeah. I've started putting my prices of work that's available on my website and I probably have had more commissions since then. And I don't know if it's because people now know what my pricing, like the ballpark is, because I think often people are shy or to ask, what are your paintings worth? And that's also often where I lose the most people. So I'll get quite a lot of people saying, I want to buy one of your cloud paintings. And so I'll say, look, this is the most common size that I do and this is the rough price. And people kind of either will go ahead from that stage or they'll just stop the conversation. But I know yeah, right. quite a few, like a, I had a conversation on an Instagram thread at one stage about this. And a lot of people just sort of said, oh, I'm too shy to ask if I can't find a price online somewhere. I just will assume that that person's too expensive for me. Oh, wow. What a great tip. So artists, just put your prices on there. <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, it does feel a bit icky as well sometimes, putting your prices on there because it, sort of, it makes everything feel a bit too... Um, it's almost like that commercial side of it shouldn't be seen, but I also find that it has to be at some stage. Like, your work is there to be sold. It can't be... Yeah it's, yeah, it's not just a picture on an Instagram feed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the reality of buying and selling art. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is a commercial exchange. Yeah. What do you do to get out of a creative funk? Um, I feel like time is really precious at the moment. Like I always find I don't have enough of it to paint. So I don't often feel like I can just walk away, but there's always other jobs to do. So whether it's 
I often find if I'm if I'm really stuck, it's leaving that painting alone and maybe spending that time prepping another canvas or washing my brushes or yeah, doing something out like that's not that painting, but I still feel I always stay in the studio and just sort of work through it. And how do you know when a piece is done? I don't know. I think it's just a feeling. Sometimes I just look at it and I think that's it. It's done. I'm ready to let it go. Yeah. But I often I'll think it's done and then I go back two days later and I think, oh, maybe I'll just fix that one little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your biggest fan? Uh, probably my husband and my family as well back home. I'm really lucky to be supported by, by both. They're always, like my family and my husband have always been really supportive of me being an artist. Yep. And with gallery representation, how did you go about getting your first gallery arrangement or showing? My first one, oh, I'm trying, I'm thinking back. Um, in Melbourne, I think my first show years and years and years ago was a, a big exhibition of nude paintings, actually. That it, it was a kind of an odd, um, I kind of hired the gallery space and put it on myself. But I think I probably have learnt from from a few things that there wasn't, there was no street access. So it was sort of the only people that came to that exhibition really were people that I'd invited. It went well, but it was sort of, you know, you sort of learn from those processes. And then the next next gallery exhibition in Melbourne was a gallery that I approached, just went in and spoke to them and I'd seen other work that I'd liked there. And in Dunedin here again, it's been, and in Auckland, it's been galleries that I've gone into, liked the work that they had enjoyed the um the banter that I had with the the owners of the gallery and they spoke the way they spoke about other people's art um I think it's really important to find galleries that you're comfortable with that who you where you appreciate their style because they're selling you as much as and I feel like it's, it's important to like the gallery you're working with it's increasingly becoming something that artists are mentioning that it's so important to have a gallery or representation who you feel comfortable with and feel like is the right fit for you because there is an increasing number of galleries popping up, which is great because it means there's more art and there's more avenues for people to be shown. Yeah. But that also means you need to be a little discerning on, okay, well, is this the right market or location or who yeah exactly what you said who are the other artists in there and how is the gallery manager or director you know speaking about those artists because that's how they're going to speak about you yeah I've had a gallery once in the past at an exhibition opening got all of the information about me wrong like said it was my first show and I remember my heart just sort of breaking a little bit thinking oh, they've got no idea, like they don't know anything about me. And so I think now for me, it's really, it's really important to work with people that I trust and who, like they're doing the hardest bits to me, which is reaching other people who are going to buy my work. And I always say it's this difficult trifecta to reach for someone to buy your work. You've got to have someone who A, loves your work because not everyone will. Like I don't love every piece of art that I see and you can't expect, you know what I mean, the same. You know, they've got to have somewhere to put it and if your work is quite big, there's not always, people don't always have the room to put your work. And then they've also got to have the money to spend on a painting. And that's not always easier available. So that's, I mean, for me, that's quite a hard trifecta to reach. But yeah, you're, you're getting someone to do that, that, that really hard bit for you. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. As your career has evolved, how is your definition of success evolving? an interesting question um 
I think initially I would have defined success as selling a work. And now for me, I think it's being happy with the work or being proud of a work, achieving something new or standing back from something and saying, I'm really proud of that one. How do you deal with your inner critic? Uh, um, I've got no idea. Badly. (laughs) 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 Every time still when I drop off a work to a gallery, I expect them to say, oh, do you know what? We've decided we don't like it. (laughs) I'm a really sort of, I get really nervous about that side of things and I just have to charge through it, I guess. It's always there, like that, that little nagging voice. It's not something I've been able to silence but I just sort of ignore it and soldier on. Yep. And last question before we get into the quick fire five, where would you like to see your work in a couple of years time? I'd love to have more of an international presence. I found that's the bit that's been quite hard. I sort of still get quite a lot of commissions in Melbourne and Sydney, but I'm, well, especially this year, I haven't been able to get home at all. I've wanted to go and sort of find a gallery in Melbourne and Sydney and also overseas so I can get that exposure to bigger, bigger audiences. And I don't know what's stopping me, but I just have felt I haven't, haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. What do you feel that will add to your career? I'm not sure. Um, I think it's just more people being able to see your work. There's something in that. Yeah. Um, yeah, just the increasing in the audience and yeah I think you always want to feel like you're growing and that's part of that I think yeah um okay cool quick fire five so these are just five (laughs) not art related questions (laughs) like one or two word answers um okay here we go star sign Aquarius tea coffee or champagne coffee champagne yeah, I don't know how to choose between those. <laughs> Coffee, I think, is more of a daily, daily need. Okay, favourite snack? Chocolate. Band you played to death in your 20s? Probably Fiona Apple. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay, the cool. Um, I probably played to oh, death. Oh, the Whitlam's. Yep. Yep. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. No aphrodisiac like loneliness. <laughs> yeah, on repeat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then first, last, or never on the dance floor. Depends. All, all three, depending on my mood. <laughs> depending on the song, depending on the event. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Julie Battisti, thank you so much for joining us on Interview with an Artist. It has been so fabulous talking with you, and I wish you all the best with your career moving forward. Thanks so much, Willie.